Content warning. A large portion of this episode contains mentions of rape, assault, abuse, and trauma. If these topics are triggering to you, there are timestamps in the episode descriptions for you to skip over that section. Thank you, and enjoy the show. Okay. I think that's the fastest I've bailed on a bit. But, um, welcome to Recommended Reading with Jackson Heyman. I'm not going to, not going to do that bit. Um, <laughs> it is in the, it is the morning. We are recording in the morning. Um, I am still getting over COVID. I am safe. I am fine. I am healthy again, but my voice is not back up to 100%. So we are here. This is the first episode of this podcast we have recorded since July. Because we we did so much pre-recording because I was like, oh yeah, August is going to be a very busy month for me. So I'll just record July and August in June and July and then start prepping September when I have the chance. And now we're here. And we're doing this. We are talking about Captain Britain. Eagle-eared listeners will remember back in the Nightcrawler episode, we talked a bit about how I had never known any, I had never learned anything about Captain Britain, except it was all weird. And we are going to explore some of that weird British weirdness. Okay, I should probably say, Britain, England, I don't think you're weird. I should probably disclose that. I do. I'll say it. Tina Bowles, other guest, our, our guest, <laughs> jumping into the conversation. Thank you so much for jumping in. <laughs> England, I respect you. I respect oh, God, you. I, I do not respect England. I, no, I refuse. I respect I you. That. I, I have I, friends I, in Britain. <laughs> I respect you a lot. I would like to visit your country one day, and I don't want to get <laughs> barred for food in the streets. <laughs> hey, hey, entire nation of Great Britain, you're listening to this, right? You, the country. Every single, every single citizen. But yeah, we are talking about Captain Britain in a new episode format that I am calling The Many Faces of Blank. Now, this type of episode is all about discussing legacy characters and characters that have passed the mantle down from from identity to identity and having different people take over. And I think it's a very interesting take on to, way to, to look at legacy characters and how a legacy can change from 
person to person and from interpretation to interpretation. And Captain Pritten was brought brought to me by Cena Bowles, our guest, because back in December, when this podcast was really kicking up, I receive a message. And do you want to explain what that message was? Oh God, what was that message? <laughs> oh, oops. No, it was it was very much you were just like, I want to come onto the podcast and I wanted to discuss one particular person that has held the title of Captain Britain. That yes, that is true. Uh I first discovered this character back in 2014. Uh it was a very roundabout way to me even reading about this character because at the time I was curious about uh other characters who had wielded Captain America's shield. And in the list that I found, uh, the character that I'm going to be talking about today, she was listed. And so it led me on this hunt to find out what she had been in and what her story was. And I absolutely fell in love with the character. So yeah, I reached out to Jackson and was like, I absolutely have to talk about this character. 100%. Yes. And then I was like, before that, you have to come on and talk about restaurants for too long. <laughs> well, no, it's actually, no, we didn't come up with the restaurants idea until February or January or February, because like that was that was not in the cards originally. No. And I was like, I have this idea that I want to do, but I need two people who are willing to go deep into but yeah, let's. I have a bit of a little history lesson for everyone before we dive deep into the characters, because we're jumping across the pond. Okay, I'm gonna stop doing that. Um, we're gonna go over to Marvel's UK publishing branch, which is a completely different wheelhouse than two Americans who are sitting here discussing this, but. Because for the longest time, like, American comics weren't really accessible in Europe, especially in, like, the boom of the Marvel Age and the Silver Age of comics with, like, the 60s rising up and giving us all these new characters. That was just for America at the time. But then you have, in the late 60s, British publishers being like, hey, we want to start reprinting Marvel stories. And we want to bring them to Britain. And so Marvel started licensing black and white reprints of Fantastic Four and mostly, yeah, mostly Fantastic Four and Nick Fury stories to be reprinted for British children audiences. And then in the 70s, Marvel's like, you know what? Screw the middleman. We're going to enter the direct market. And they founded Marvel UK. And all the titles at first were just like reprints. Reprints of Hulk stories and Fantastic, Fantastic Four stories and S.H.I.E.L.D. stories in like weekly magazines that were published in like black. They were black and white magazines that would be released weekly because that's the way British comics were run for the longest time. But then, a young writer 
who we are going to be talking about a lot on this podcast eventually, named Chris Claremont, comes in in 1976. And he's like, you know what Marvel UK needs? An original character. Here is my pitch for my original character, Do Not Steal. (laughs) What I'm saying is, the first Captain Britain, secret identity Brian Braddock, was Chris Claremont's, basically his OC, for bringing an original character into the Marvel Universe. So let's talk about Brian. Oh, Brian. Do you want to describe just what Brian's look and vibe is? And I can go more into 70s Brian in a second. Brian is Captain America, but English. Exactly. White, blonde-haired, blue-eyed man. Literally, he is a carbon copy of Captain America. There was actually, I don't think Brian was included in it, but there was a bit... I can't remember if it was late 90s or early 2000s where they did it, or it may have been older, uh, where they did a joke about how uh, Cap, I think it was Hank, uh, and Clint were basically all drawn the same. Like, they were so aware of it. And that's the thing, is like, Brian is also just like that. He is a white blonde man. Yeah, Captain Steve Rogers, Hank Pym, Clint Barton, especially back then in like... Early I think inter- it was older. I gotta, I gotta find it. It was very yeah. funny to me because I just remember I'm like, at least they're poking fun at it, but it, it's kind of branch out, guys. Like brunettes, something. <laughs> and I think they've done a lot recently to really differentiate Steve, Hank, and Clint in modern comics, while still keeping them all blonde. Like it's all in the hair, like and how all how they wear their hair, because I know David Aja does Fraction Hawkeye, and, like, you've got the shaggy Clint. It, yeah, like, the, you can differentiate it a bit. Just make one of them a schlub. And that's <laughs> what they did with Clint. And we'll talk about Hawkeye one of these days, because uh, Fraction Hawkeye is so good. But, yeah, and, like, to a lot of people, you they think, like, Captain Britain, especially the Brian version of Captain Britain, stands alongside, like, the national clones of Steve Rogers. Like, you have a lot of people with, like, superhuman strength and agility in spandex suits that really look mostly like unitards and are adorned with the flag of whatever nation they're representing. Because you've got Steve Rogers, you've got the cap suit, you've got Brian, but then you've also got, like, guardian of alpha flight his whole like white unitard with a maple leaf on it as one does when in canada when in canada you maple leaf but um yeah like you'd think like brian is just another national clone of captain america and You'd kind of be right, but you'd also kind of be wrong because his origins are so much different than your classic Steve Rogers gets injected with the super soldier serum. His origins are weird, gang. 
college res- college research assistant Brian Braddock falls into Stonehenge and is approached by an old man astrally projecting in who is, I guess, supposed to be Merlin. And he offers him a choice to be to take up arms as the defender of England. And he gives them a choice between the sword of might and the amulet of right. It's weird. It's weird. What do you want to talk a bit more about the sword and the amulet? So I'm going to preface this. My interaction with Captain Britain is solely through the character I'll be talking to, who is also Captain Britain. She also went through the same trial of choosing the Sword of Might or the uh, the amulet. She didn't know what they were called. Yeah. Uh, or if she did, I'll get to that later. But essentially, the sword is chosen by someone who is essentially seeking power over like wisdom and the amulet is more of the wise the right choice there's a right choice and it's in the name the fact that it's called the amulet it's so bad it's called the amulet of right yet there are most moments where people consider taking the sword over the amulet here's the thing It, it is the worst thing because it it is basic it is given to you as a multiple choice quiz you can choose <laughs> a or b a of wrong or b of right but you have a choice you i won't tell you what happens if you choose either one until after you choose it but go ahead choose literally it's... i just i just want to pause at the situation cuz it it'll we'll come back to this but you are in a mysterious realm you don't know where you are, when you are, what's going on, and you are being chosen to possibly you're being told that you're going to be a defender of the realm. And you're being told to choose between a sword and a necklace. Please tell me right now, no thinking about it, what would you choose? I mean, okay, so... If, no, 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 no thinking. I just want an answer. <laughs> what, can I can I ask one follow-up question? You can, but I can't say if I'll answer it, because that's how it goes. Were the names spoken to me? Let me double check real quick. Because they were spoken to Brian, but but to your character, were they spoke were they spoken? I'm double checking. He does describe a sword and a pendant. Uh, no. No names? No. It was I'm not just, mentioned. I'm just no told. I'm you were just, just shown by these like otherworldly, mystical, gigantic figures in front of you. A sword or a pendant. Defender of the realm. I take the sword. And you right? chose wrong. Your life is now ruined. So, so you are it, now a villain. God. So, okay. So now, so now the knight from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade just appears behind me. It's like you chose poorly, and <laughs> you God, just get poor marks on all your grades going forward. God, your life is ruined. Everything is just terrible now. 
Yeah. This is okay. So we've talked a bit about 60s comics and 60s origins. The two of us before, especially on this podcast, when we talked about the X-Men, where it, there wasn't really an origin. It was just like, oh, yeah, they have them. They were born with them. They have these powers. But then a lot of, like, the 60s Marvel origins were, like, science accidents. Radioactive yeah. spider bite, gamma explosion, cosmic yeah. rays. You get to the 70s. And now it's just like, you gotta choose one of these. Choose one of this. I, this mystical bearded head, am telling you to, tell, to become the warrior of Britain. Choose. 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 Yeah. <laughs> choose. <laughs> but, but... And so Brian picks the amulet because he is a nice little blonde boy who is pure of heart. And he becomes Captain Britain. That's questionable, but I'll, I'll accept yeah, it for we'll, now. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get um, there. We should talk about a rich costume. Because yes. it, it's weird. It's, it's not like... He gets a more like sleek costume later. But now, right now, it's just... And, and I should preface, I read every single available issue of Captain Britain comics that was on Marvel Unlimited. I did not get everything. It's not the full story. But I did read everything that was available to me. So I had to look at this costume a lot. It is a <laughs> red spandex unitard with Union Jack wristbands um, and a lion, like, like very much like the Richard the Lionhearted lion the, design. The lion rampant is the... Yes. Oh, yes. The, the lion rampant lion. on yes. his chest. He's got the amulet. And then he's got a Union Jack headband, a red mask, a, a red and blue mask where, like, the top part is red and the face shield is blue it's like he's the, wearing it's the, a... top, it's the top half of the union jack because it's uh the the middle band that goes horizontal is what covers his eyes and then the uh vertical band is thick and goes kind of just down his forehead but stops at where the uh horizontal band stops and then on the headband itself is where you have the two uh diagonal lines from the top he's he's basically wearing part of the union jack as a face mask yes. like he was he knew he he was he was practicing safe <laughs> Got it. Save COVID like a headline. Was a hero. I was wrong all along. <laughs> he, I, I, you know, I'll say I think he wants he would want the people of Britain to get vaccinated. <laughs> but the last part, like, and then his hair is exposed, like above the mask that seemingly covers the rest of his head. He has exposed hair. And this has been a pet peeve of mine when it comes to, like, superhero costume designs. Like, I like it on, I like it on Booster Gold. I will say that. I like the exposed hair. But because that design is much more like goggle mask rather than full head mask. Yeah, I will say, like, the Britain, the British superheroes have that tendency to do, like, either the full 
like full mask where it is covering you know covering hair covering the entirety of the head uh or this like three quarters mask i guess i'll call it where it's like it goes up to the hairline and then the hair is free they they love that there in britain apparently i don't know what's going on with that it's you think you think given how much i have been told by actual british people that it rains there (laughs) you (laughs) You wouldn't want your hair exposed yeah but yeah, Brian is here, like, flashing his blonde hair like like Finn from Adventure Time, just, like, letting it roam free. And it's, it's a weird costume, right? It's, it doesn't look great. It's, it's, I'm not, not to critique the artist, um, what's his name? I have it in my notes. Not to critique the artist, uh, Herb Trimpy. It's a nice design, and I I really like how it has like he's got like the staff or or baton that is very like Jack Kirby's like seventies tech design. Yeah. But knowing the costume that Brian gets later, it's a lot sleeker, and this is just kind of a mess. It it's very funny to me. I feel like. Like it, it feels like to me that in my knowledge at least of the Captain Britain character and Ross you know, characters in roster, like the na- the people who hold the namesake Captain Britain, they go through a lot of costume changes. They do. They do. She goes through three. And she and then appears my- in two runs. <laughs> and then my second my second <laughs> character She has two costumes in her five part run like oh no i just have to say that like this seems to be a thing and and my second character who we will get to but uh she has a completely different costumed identity before this (laughs) she also goes through a lot it's yeah like because i think like captain america has been this pretty much the same like there's minor differences but it's like yeah you look at captain america of any era and you're like yeah that's captain america or iron man even though he's definitely like the face plates and the tech has changed it's like you can still tell and it's like like, obviously these people are wearing the english flag so it's like or the british flag so it's like yeah you can obviously tell who they are but it's still they're very different in my opinion yeah there are like distinct differentiations between like steve bucky and sam when it comes to like their captain america outfits but and like there's there's differentiations but the captain britons just really like to change up their look a lot themselves not even like between each other yeah obviously between each other they'll have different costumes between themselves individually they have different like very different costumes they're very like they're fickle when it comes to costume designs (laughs) and so claremont and trippy come in they create this character and they're like they're gonna do something different than what had been done at marvel uk for the longest time we are gonna make captain Britain. we are gonna make brian braddock a part of the Marvel Universe. And we are going to bring in... We are going to bring in characters from American comics and tell new stories with them interacting with our OC. It's just fanfic for a little bit that was... that was later sanctioned by Marvel. And so, in, like, early Captain Britain stuff, you have S.H.I.E.L.D. and Nick Fury and, and Steve Rogers showing up, and working with the British version of Shield, um, do you want to explain what 
the British version of Shield is called? Uh, the British version of Shield is called Strike. Strike. I, very, I I like the name. I'm not gonna I, lie. The name is good. The name is good. good. Name. It's better. Like if I have to rank them, I think Shield is like a great like acronym working with a word and to symbolize what you do. Yes. Then I think I think Strike and Sword are sort of tied for me because oh, yeah. yeah, I think Sword is like Sword is, is just fun. Sword is fun, especially when you see about the angle in the comics of how it's like all about intergalactic defense and exploration. Oh, yeah. And then Plus, Stri- I think Abigail Brand is just a very iconic design for a head of the organization. Uh, love the green hair. Abigail Brand will get her day on this podcast. Hell yes. Um, because she has become a villain now. Um, but we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> oh, uh, well, she was always a she's she's just a, she's an asshole. Abigail's Abigail, and that's all you need. All right. <laughs> yeah. But then Strike, I think, is tied with Sword. I support women's rights and women's wrongs. Exactly. Emma Frost coming in X month 2023. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Sword and Strike, I think, are the same because they sort of function the same purpose. And I like Strike not, cor- not being like, we're not going to do what America's doing and, and name ourselves after some sort of combat equipment. We're going to name ourselves after the technique. And then on the bottom, and we've talked about this, you have Hammer. And See, you say bottom, it's the top for me. <laughs> it's the fact that Norman literally created it, was like, we'll just pretend it has an acronym and uh, Hand can worry about the rest. Like <laughs> Norman Osborne was like, Victoria I'm going to, re- she'll take care of the rest. She, she'll, she'll give it a meaning. It still doesn't have a meaning. No meeting. Norman has this cabal of supervillains. And I bet, I think they're just sitting down and like, it's like him, doom, Loki, Emma Frost, Namor, and the hood being like, what do we call our organizations? That's gonna replace shield. And I think Loki is just, <laughs> well, you know, my brother has a hammer. <laughs> That's great. But we have to have it mean something. I don't want to figure then, that out. Yeah, just put a bunch of periods in there. <laughs> and then Nathan Fillion walks in and he's like, yeah, the hammer. <laughs> God. But <laughs> why didn't Norman call himself Cap? Why didn't Norman Osborn call himself Captain Hammer? That That's my question. Oh, I, there's a lot about that era. <laughs> there's a yep. lot. Um, but so... Get strike, and that is something created by by the Brits for this. But then Claremont leaves pretty early on into the weekly run of Captain Britain comics because he's like, I don't need this anymore. You know what I'm gonna go do? I'm gonna go redefine the X-Men for literally almost two decades. And so he leaves Captain Britain weekly very quickly. Oh, I had one more side tangent about British comics that I wanted oh, please, to mention. Please tangent away. So, so many British comic comics, they were released in like big weekly magazine formats. And so it would be multiple stories very similar to how like manga is published in Japan and like the shonen volumes. And with like each week you'd get a different chapter of all these different stories. But so then what British comics was with like, hey, you know what's going to appeal to the kids? If we include like free gifts inside. And so 
I was looking at all these covers, and it's like, inside, there's a free Captain Britain paper airplane, or a free mini poster, or a free frisbee. And, like, that's what they would sell to the little British children. (laughs) I mean... I bought when I was I bought a lot of baseball card packs as a kid just for the gum. I get it. Oh yeah. I get it. I respect but, it. Yeah. But so before Claremont leaves, he does this great duty of setting up a supporting cast for Brian. Because for like the first couple of issues, he's just a mix of Peter Parker and Steve Rogers a bit. Like, he has to still go to school and deal with bullies and a secret identity and a love interest. But then, Claremont introduces Brian's family, who we're gonna get back to in a little bit, but we're gonna talk about them now. His twin sister, Betsy, and their older brother, Jamie. And Jamie and Betsy play a huge role in Brian's place in the Marvel Universe. Because Jamie and Betsy are later retconned to be both mutants. Brian is the only one who is not a mutant. Brian is the only one who is not a mutant. I should also say, I also have to say, the three of them are, guess what, also orphans. British orphans. They're all British orphans. And they are living in their big mansion that their parents have because, of course, they're rich and have a mansion. And I want to point out something interesting about Betsy here. She is originally introduced as she's a pilot. Like, that's her big character trait. She is given way more dynamics than main ca- other main character sisters tropes. And which is nice, because you will tell, as we go on, that Claremont has a love for Betsy. And he cares about this character. And we can't talk about it a lot, but we will at least touch on it. Yes. But so, they get introduced. Uh, you get a couple of villains introduced, like uh, Slaymaster and Lady Sin, who will become recurring foes for them. But then Claremont leaves, and... The book just progresses on. Like, it's very much a Captain Britain book, and it's a mix of Spider-Man and Captain America with a little Arthurian legend flair. And so, that all happens. And then, a couple of, uh, two guys named Alan come into the picture. Alan Moore and Alan Davis. And who we have both talked about in on this podcast before, um, but Alan Moore being this being the only time he ever worked with Marvel on his stop from like jumping from writing in 2000 AD to creating Miracle Man to doing this to reinventing Swamp Thing. Moore and Davis come in and they write and they write this crossover storyline called Jasper's Warp. Which, in terms of crossover storyline names, you think about, like, Secret Wars, or Crisis on Infinite Earths, and then Jasper's Warp. I didn't read Jasper's Warp. I should've, because it explains a lot about Brian. It introduces... 
it introduces a lot of the multiverse into Brian's mythos, or, or as called by many British writers, the omniverse, the multiverse of multiverses. Which, oh god, I'm not ready for that to come into the MCU. I'm already kind of tired of the multiverse. I'm so tired of the multiverse in the MCU. Because I just, I'll be honest, they, they didn't do it. Uh, I'm tired of the way that I'm. I'm tired of the way they're they're treating it. Where like their main goal with it is, let's just use this as a way to get gratuitous cameos from previous actors who have played these characters or weird celebrity in jokes. It it's yeah, because the thing is, it's like I get their concept is like they wrote themselves into a hole. Where they were like, we are going to have, you know, these massive amounts of movies and crossovers with the Avengers, and it makes it all feel very big. The problem is Marvel is a much larger realm than, than the MCU, and there mm-hmm. is a hell of a lot more going on. And so by focusing on these, you know, big world-changing events that the Avengers are facing or these individual superheroes are facing, they wrote themselves into a corner where it's like, Okay, so the Fantastic Four was doing what during this time? Or, okay, now now mutants are a thing. So where have they been? What have they been doing? The Inhumans show that they just don't even talk about anymore. Like, it, it's... They, they, they pigeonholed themselves. And so they're like, oh, well, now we need to have a reason and a way to bring them all in. Well, oh, alternate universes. And it's like, no, that uh, makes the world feel so much smaller, in my opinion. Yep. It it doesn't make it feel bigger. And it's because of that. It's like, no, you, you gave yourselves your constraints of this is what we're focusing on. This is who we're focusing on. Yes. And not focusing on the rest. But it's like, because you're using these world changing events, you're removing the possibility of these other world changing groups. Yep. Be- and I think... What more in Davis do um, with Jasper's Warp, which is such a strange name for a crossover, but I kind of yeah. love it. I, I really do like it. I like a but, dance. But what they, what they do with it is they lean into the stuff about the multiverse that is actually more interesting, be, be it the multiverse is expansive and infinite and anything can happen. And that means all the weird shit can happen. And Davis comes back after this crossover for another Captain Britain series with Jamie Delano, who is writing. And they decide to lean into how weird the multiverse can be. Brian starts encountering encountering weird multiversal villains like the Crazy Gang or Gatecrasher. And... They all sort of culminate in the character of who we'll just mention quick and and pat and pass over really quick because if I talk about this character for too long, my brain will break. The character of Opal Luna Saturnine, the Omniversal Majestrix, ruler of the multiverse, leader of the Captain Britain Corps, this multiversal team of captain britons from all over the universe or the the omniverse i'm sorry i'll I'll get that right and so this is where brian gets weird and this is where he starts to really come into the united states 
And this is where he gets his new costume as well. Um, the costume of, like, the spandex Union Jack full bodysuit. And this is a much sleeker and nicer design, I think, in my opinion. Yes. I need to backtrack real quick to talk about Brian's first appearance in an issue of Marvel Team-Up, where Peter Parker is attending Empire State University, and his new roommate is transfer student Brian Braddock. Oh, my, that was his first appearance? I believe so. I believe it was his first appearance in an issue of Marvel Team-Up written by Chris Claremont in the U.S. That was Brian's first appearance. Let me confirm that. Yep. In 98, it was 65 and 66 of Marvel, of Marvel Team-Up written by Chris Claremont with art by John Byrne. Wow. In a Spider-Man story. And so this is just adds another good-looking blonde roommate to the list of Peter Parker's good-looking blonde roommates. Brian, Johnny Storm, just... He's just racking them up. Racking them up. Um, and so... But then Brian doesn't really make a lot of U.S. debuts until... Later in the 80s, when Claremont and Davis team up for Excalibur, this technically an X-Men series that features Brian and his wife joining a team of Nightcrawler, Kitty Pride, and Rachel Summers, and basically becoming the X-Men of the UK. And Brian's wife, Megan, is a character that deserves her own episode and she will get her own episode because she is quite frankly a much more interesting character than brian she is a shapeshifter but like an empathic shapeshifter and she takes the form of whatever feels would be the most comfortable or pleasing to the people around her and she deserves so much better than brian braddock a hundred percent. Like, I just also want to say, because Megan is also half mutant. Yes, she is half mutant, half fairy. So, like, he's surrounded by, he's literally the only, he's the token human. He is the point. token human of Excalibur. Yes. Megan is half mutant, half like fairy folk. Yes. And she's there with Kurt, Kitty, and Rachel, probably three of my personal favorite mutants ever. And just hanging out, traveling the multiverse, traveling through time, traveling through space. And it really strays far away from the original intent of the X-Men in the UK that was, a, that was created by Claremont. And that, that we have Alan Davis to thank, who is this writer-artist who is just extremely good at creating weird character designs. I'm going to send you what the what the crazy gang look like. Because they're just a group of characters who have no right being together, but because they all are just united in their weird designs. They look so interesting. This is what the crazy gang looks like. I'm going to be honest, they look like uh 
C-list rogues gallery for Batman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One of one of them literally looks like he could be a member of the Royal Flush Gang. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I I get it's like oh it's Britain it it's it's it feels very like Alice in Wonderland esque as well the Red Queen, uh the card knight yeah just the Alice in Wonderland influence on Alan Davis's work with Excalibur and Captain Britain is palpable because one of those characters who is uh who is not shown in this is literally just named Tweedledope. And he looks like a more simian take on Tweedledee or Tweedledum. And there is an issue of Excalibur that I read where basically the crazy gang and arcade trap Excalibur in like an Alice in Wonderland type game. And it's simultaneously an Alice in Wonderland pastiche and a body swap comedy. And Brian finds himself in the body of Tweedledope, who is your is the team's big dumb brute. And so he can barely speak and form full sentences, which, you know, don't don't really like that. But yeah, but Brian is just trying to get the attention of his other friends when he's stuck in this big brute body. And so this is where Brian sort of hangs on for a long time. He he really hangs out with Excalibur and then he gets back in a solo series with like MI13 or something. And then the Captain Britain Corps is established. This uni- this multiversal team of versions of people to hold the Captain Britain mantle. But as he's off doing that, Oh wait, before I before I do this, I want to talk about like final thoughts about Brian. When he is given character development, he's kind of an asshole. And besides that, he's just like your bland, milk toast, blonde, good-looking superhero. And he's just he's he comes off as really standoffish and brutish and du- dumbish sometimes. And I personally don't think he's a good fit for Megan. Like that, that that's my thought. Uh, Megan deserves so much better and absolutely needs to divorce him ASAP and marry mm-hmm. me instead. So Megan deserves everything. And they they really try to play into that. They of course doing the classic 80s X-Men thing of like soap opera E moments. There is a love tri- triangle beca- between Brian, Megan, and Kurt throughout Excalibur. And you start to realize that, you know, yeah, this could be about Brian, 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 Megan, and Kurt and Megan, but also there's some tension between Kurt and Brian that could easily be let loose if they just declared their love for each other. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Brian's off doing that, and in the early 2000s, someone else takes over. So, uh, we have arrived at my favorite Marvel character of all time. She will always hold that top spot. Uh, I love a lot of Marvel characters. No one can dethrone her. Uh, This is the story of one Kelsey Shore Lay, or Kelsey Lay, or Kelsey Shore. There's a lot. There's, uh... (laughs) 
I, I don't quite know what happened. Like different books had different names for her. Uh, I think one of them had Kirkland as a last name at some point. I no no understanding of why. I've always taken her name to be Kelsey Shore Lay. Uh, her husband's last name was Lay, and her mother's last name was Shore. So Shore Lay. She combined the names. Um, this was from. Uh, oh gosh. Uh, her first appearance was in the Avengers Volume 3. It was the 1998-2004 run. She appeared in issue 77 for the five-part Lionheart of Avalon story. Uh, ran from 77... And then, but she appeared in the five-part Lionheart of Avalon and then following was the four-part Once Invader story. She appeared in the two-part Disassembled story and then the finale of that before leaving the Avengers. But all of that starts from a very different spot. Kelsey is a, uh, she's a British woman. She lives in Ipswich, which is in Suffolk. Uh, she is a single mother of two children, Martin, uh, her oldest son, and then Jenny, her daughter. Uh, she, Martin appears to be around 10. Jenny looks to be around five or seven. And we first see her in her home. Uh, we don't see her at first. We actually see Martin first. He's hanging up a poster of Captain America in his bedroom. He's very excited about it. He goes on to say, like, he loves superheroes, but Captain America is his favorite. And that's kind of this recurring theme that comes up with him is it's like, oh, well, you're, you know, you're English. Why, why don't you like, you know, <laughs> Union Jack? And he's like, I just always liked Captain America. And... Kelsey says that she feels that superheroes are too violent of role models for children, but she, she lets him have his poster. She's like, I, you know, it's no harm. I just personally don't like it. Um, it's shown that Kelsey has a, her most distinctive feature is that she has a massive scar that runs down the front of her face from her forehead to her chin. Um, it's not explained yet where that came from. It's just shown that she has this massive facial scar and there's this really weird bit. There, there's a lot of weird stuff with her story. Uh, but there's this really weird bit where uh, when she's talking with Martin, she says something about how she wishes that he had a father or a local man in the village to look up to in instead of superheroes. There's this weird underlying current of women meeting men throughout this uh, whole run hey. that really sits badly with me, especially once I get into the meat of kelsey's actual story uh because i love kelsey like when she's written well and she hasn't really been written much uh she's written really good but when you actually like peel back just a tiny layer and look at like the actual undercurrent of the story and compare it to her story it's gross um so interaction with kelsey scene changes it's uh I, I'm going into a bit of detail about this just because it's very integral to her as a character and how yeah. she becomes Captain Britain. Um, and just all of the weirdness that is present during the story. Uh, cuts to the worst conversation possible. It is Clint and Steve, and they are in London. or Well, not London. They're in Ipswich. They're in England. Uh, talking, uh, just walking down the street. And it starts with Clint asking Steve if he would ever hit a woman. That is the first what? thing Clint said. What? Yeah. Huh? Huh? Clint Clint is talking with Steve about if Steve would hit a woman and how Steve is failing in the romance department because he's too old fashioned and doesn't know what the modern woman wants, which is to be loved, but also to be considered independent. 
Uh, it's then. Yes. <laughs> Please ask. Can I ask who's writing this? Who wrote this? <laughs> well, that would be our buddy, Chuck Austin. Chuck Austin. Chuck, I made Nightcrawler the Pope and tried to simulate the rapture, Austin. It, it, I, I've, I, I will say I love the story. I love Kelsey. I, I hate the story. I hate this run. I've been saying uh, this pain. This run gives me so much pain. And earlier today, I only just made the connection. Oh, fuck. It's an Austin story. No wonder it sucks. Because I was like, there's always been this underlying current of just weird shit and like weird dialogue. And I'm like, no one reads correctly. Like none of the characters feel like themselves in a sense. And it's just bad. And I'm like, why is that? It's because it's Chuck Austin uh, original. Chuck Austin. It's it's oh. Chuck uh, Polaris dons a Magneto costume at her wedding, Austin. Oh, God. Oh, Chuck. My vengeance uh, list against people named Chuck who work on comics grows daily. There's two people on this on that list, but yeah, it's a sizable list for given how many people named Chuck who work in comics are. uh... (laughs) I have a vendetta against them. Chuck Austin needs to block me for something stupid, and then I can go on with my life. Um, But weird conversation. It gets revealed that the Avengers are in England because the Wrecking Crew is there. And so they're they're trying to find them. And Clint mentions something about having new arrows. It, it's a weird drop. It comes into play later. Uh, immediately goes back to Clint talking to Steve about the weird subject conversation. Says uh, Steve is old fashioned. Asks if he has what it takes to hit a super villainess. Uh, says that he's never seen Steve punch an evil woman. Steve is being chivalrous, and that sometimes you just gotta punch him. He, Steve calls Clint misogynistic. Uh, it, it's a it's a very horrible conversation, especially considering a lot of the subject matter of this run. Because mm-hmm. here's the thing: it's like you can think, well, that's an odd conversation to have. It gets worse, not just the subject matter, but how it pertains to what is at the core of this story. Uh, cuts back to Kelsey and the kids, uh, she is taking them for a walk. They walk by a pub and Jenny asks to get ice cream. Martin makes a point of saying that people will stare at Kelsey because of her scar, that this is kind of a common occurrence. And we get this little glimpse into like how Kelsey is with her kids. And I I love it. I, I love seeing Kelsey interact with her kids because you basically get this dynamic of uh, Jenny is very young and she's just, she's a kid. She She acts like a kid. Martin is clearly, you know, a little bit older, but he has stepped up into this very protective role over his mother, over whatever caused the scar. We still don't know yet, but he's clearly very protective of his mother and is trying to look out for her. And then we have Kelsey, who, when they first walk into the pub, she clearly looks very kind of caught off guard because everyone turns to stare at her. But she immediately still walks in, holds her head up high and basically puts on this brave face in front of her kids. And so it's just, it's this very interesting family dynamic of getting to see, you know, this is a woman who clearly went through some sort of tragedy, you know, physical tragedy, and is stepping up and being the mom, essentially. And it's a good, it's just this very nice showing of this character. And for me, it really cements who she is as a person, seeing her interact with her kids, that she's putting her kids first. She is not thinking about like, oh, I, you know, how people are going to react to me or anything like this or my own trepidations or fears 
kids are coming first, 100%. So they go in and get ice cream. Cuts back to uh, Clint and Steve, even more of a weird conversation that gets a little biphobic. Uh, <laughs> uh, Clint says to Steve uh, that every red-blooded American male wants a girl, unless he's gay. And then he says he's pretty sure Steve isn't. There's more options than that, Clint. What the fuck? Uh, he tells Steve that Steve needs to basically take the lead if a woman is interested in him and just kiss her. Uh, it's bad. It, it, I, I hate to say this, how bad this gets. Yes, uh, yes. We will need a warning at the beginning of this episode. Yes, like, I, I will. I, I will leave let you know all of the warnings that you'll need. Uh, let, yeah, let me know. Um, okay. Uh, so kind of speeding through this uh they hear from jan that the wrecking crew is outside of the pub that it was shown that kelsey and her kids are at uh the avengers all make their way there jan has this really bad line that i'm not going to repeat uh because it's just not great uh in regards to thunderball of the wrecking crew um Kelsey sees that there's a fight going on outside the pub and directs her kids to run outside to you know escape the danger. And so they run outside. Thunderball and Captain America are facing off in the alley that Kelsey ran into. Captain America tries to direct Kelsey to run back inside, but the door is jammed. Captain America gets knocked out by Thunderball. And Jan, who had shrunk down too quickly because she had been in her giant form, is also passed out. So the scene that's set in this first issue is that. Captain America, the Wasp are both down and it's just Kelsey and her kids facing off with Thunderball. And Thunderball is attempting to kill uh, kill Captain America is his goal. Cutting to the second issue, uh, Thunderball goes to swing his weapon at Captain America. Kelsey picks up his shield and blocks the blow. Yo! Regular human. She does not like superheroes she th thinks they're too violent and she picks up the shield to save captain america thunder they have this conversation uh thunderball talks in old english and like a lot of literary quotes which kelsey equally quotes back at him she's very like she's a like she's a teacher and she's a literary teacher is kind of her background and so she has a lot of like literary quotes that they have this weird back and forth it's an interesting scene yes so so my question is um the Thunderball I know yes. is a big, dumb guy with a wrecking ball on a chain. The, I will come back to this. You'll, you'll come back to why, why he's... He is, you're, he is very out of character in this run, but there's a reason why. I, ha I have a theory why. What's but theory? Is it with the other world shit? Is this like a test for Kelsey? Is it... It's not a test, but there is other world shit. Okay. All right, so. keep going. Uh, so they have this uh, kind of face-off where they just kind of quote back and forth at each other. He strikes a second time. She blocks it again. He, like, shatters her shoulder from the blow. She's still standing. And he hits her again just as Jennifer Walters arrives on scene because she had been busy with something else. So Jennifer Walters comes in, sees the scene of Cap and Wasper down. Kelsey has the shield. Her kids are crying in the background. And Thunderball strikes a third time. Kelsey still has the shield. She takes three blows from this guy holding the shield. And my favorite line that for me, like, solidifies why I love Kelsey is this part that uh, Thunderball asks, uh, he, he, you know, 
essentially he goes why won't you you know who are you like because he's like why won't you move out of the way who the hell are you and she goes me i'm just a housewife and then she passes out from her injuries but just in the face of this imminent danger of like horrendous amounts of physical trauma in this moment and that she has this moment because he was being very misogynistic as well during this like this back and forth where he's like oh wow you're pretty okay for a woman and she's like what the fuck is your problem uh but so her to like rub it in his face of being like i'm just a housewife the person who has stopped you from killing captain america in this moment is a nobody a woman who works at home and chuck austin wrote this chuck austin wrote this yeah this is this is what i mean when she's good she is good but then when she's mm, the rest (laughs) the rest of yeah so she uh succumbs to her injuries kind of speeding through this but uh she dies en route to the hospital huh she She dies yes uh so she fully dies steve is brought back to life by wanda but Kelsey en route was died from her injuries uh, that she sustained. Um, going forward, because there's just a lot of like in between that really adds to why this run is so terrible. Uh, Clint brings the kids in to the operating room where their mom is just dead on the table. So the kids Clint. see the Clint. kids saw getting abused by this man, and then now dead body. <laughs> Clint. Oh, it, yeah. Uh, okay, keep going. Keep, yeah. <laughs> I can't think. I can't think about that. For, oh, for it, it, yeah. It just it gets so bad. Uh, Steve calls Kelsey stupid for trying to protect him because well, she's just a regular person. It's our job to save lives. Steve, what the? F- like he literally says, "What? Like what is she stupid? <laughs> it's like you're talking over her dead body right now." What Steve. The um. The kids get consoled. Steve has this really awkward like interaction with uh with Martin where he's trying to console him and he's just not good at it. Uh it like it, it it's really bad. Like of everyone who would be good at consoling kids. After seeing their dead mom, you'd yeah. think it would be Steve. You think Steve would know what to do. Yeah, it everyone is written so poorly in this. Um there is a lot of off-the-cuff remarks about uh abuse and like physical abuse and intimate abuse and uh clint is talking about it fully in front of hank and jan so there's this very awkward interaction there Whoa. uh there is this really bad moment where hank tries to pull jan out of the room to have a talk no nope. uh, and they're like nope Oh yeah, no, 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 it's bad. Uh, he, he basically blames Jan for the rest of the Avengers knowing that he was abusive. Uh, he tries to defend himself. Uh, she tells him to go to therapy and he goes, I don't need therapy. Like he's written terribly, but like in a way that makes sense in a way. But with the rest of the story, it's like, this is not the time to have this conversation or this arc. <laughs> Let's do this some other time. Avengers, um, stop being awful. It, it's it's so, so bad. But we finally get to, after all of this, we cut back to Kelsey, who is dead on a gurney. They put her body in the Quinjet for some reason. And uh, I think just to get her out of the house, it's kind of weird. Uh, but she is approached by Brian. She's visited by Brian. Kelsey later wakes up in Stonehenge in a grassy field 
and visited by the spectral figures of uh, Brian with long hair. I don't quite know why he has long hair in this moment, um, but he has really long hair. And choice. Uh, he's making a, he's making a, he's making an appearance choice. Yeah, uh, and Megan's with him, so he kind of explains because uh, Kelsey has no idea what the fuck's going on, and she's like, "Where am I?" And he's like, uh, "You're in this fragment, but." you know, a shard of existence between this life and the next, but that's not important. I didn't know what this place was when I came here. So you don't need to know. So he says, Kelsey Ryan. was brought here uh, because of her courage and self-sacrifice on behalf of others. And she was chosen for a mission that will mean the life or death of the realm. She's asked to select between two items before her, the sword and the pendant. Kelsey is obviously confused. Uh, she kind of re like, retraces her steps of like what the fuck led me here she's like i remember being with my kids i remember facing off with that guy uh captain america was there I, am i dead and brian's like yep sorry you're dead her first oh. thought is of her kids she goes she's like oh my god my children um brian introduces himself he's like hey i'm brian this is my wife megan uh we have the power to return you to life but you must choose between the sword and the amulet they do not say what they are named right Kelsey immediately says she'll choose in order to return to her kids. Fuck the realm. She's not. She doesn't care about this mission. She's like, mm -hmm. no, I don't want to go back to my kids. They don't have another parent. Yep. <laughs> Which is part of her story. Uh, Megan says, because uh, Kelsey asks, what's the difference between these two? Megan says, we can't say. Mystery. Uh, Merlin but, said. Yeah. So Megan's like, no, no, we can't say. You must set your own destiny. Brian just says, to choose may mean returning to your life as it was, with the power to protect the realm from the forces which threaten it even now. Or to choose may also mean never seeing your family again. Those are your options. You either get a lot of cool powers or you can never see your family again. Oh my god. Kelsey Brian. Says, Kelsey says 50-50 odds, my kids are worth a risk. Again, consistently she's shown to put her children before anything else. Her children are the most important thing in her life. So, the quote, because I have to read these exactly, because to me it shows exactly why she chose what she chose, and why she is then demonized for it. Kelsey, knowing everything that they have not told her, and what they have told her, Kelsey says, if I'm to protect the realm, a necklace would be useless, wouldn't it? So come along, Excalibur, take me to my babies. So she picks the sword. She transforms into a suit, which I honestly like. Kelsey's suits, they're very, like, they're very similar where they, um, her original one is like that half Union Jack, but it's yeah. a blue under mask. I like the look. Um, it's very reminiscent of his first one. It has the, uh, rampant lion on it as well. Uh, but she is holding the sword and she goes, did I choose correctly? Brian says there are no right or wrong choices, merely different paths, and she has chosen correctly to defend Avalon. Kelsey asks if she will be able to see her kids. Megan apologizes, saying, we know what you meant, and we're really sorry. But here's the thing. There's the Sword of Might and the Amulet of no. Might. You no! You have chosen the path of violence. Brian says, that choice has altered the lives of your children as well as your own. 
If you reveal yourself to Martin and Jenny again, their lives will end, painfully and horribly. No! Their fate, the fate of Avalon, indeed, perhaps the fate of the entire world now rests upon you, for even now the realm is invaded. I'm sorry, Kelsey, the choice had to be made by you. There was no other way. Fight well and fight hard, my champion. Be one with your brothers of the table round. Captain Britain. He starts to vanish. Kelsey starts saying, I would have chosen differently. He can't leave her like this. She she wants to see her kids. And she is returned to the world of the living. The story continues and wrapping it up, what is gets revealed is that Thunderball had been replaced by uh, the Black Knight. Not of Marvel fame, the Black Knight, just a Black Knight uh, who belongs to Morgan Le Fay. And Morgan Le Fay's whole goal was to get Clint's arrows. Because they were created um. by Thor. So, Thunderball, the Black Knight, has the arrows, gives them to Morgan Le Fay, who, in the other world, it's revealed that uh, she has Captain Britain, Brian Braddock, uh, trapped, essentially. And she's attempting to kill him because killing him means killing England. That's the whole thing, is that he is essentially the lifeblood of England as Captain Britain. That's the core of the character of Captain Britain is that damage to you damages the realm of -hmm. England. So, Captain Britain, it's revealed, his whole goal was to pass on the mantle of Captain Britain so that he could sacrifice himself while not sacrificing the realm. He chose a woman who sacrificed her own life to save her kids and a man she did not know, who we find out her backstory is that she was this will be part of the warning. She was nearly raped by men who broke into her house while she was married to her husband. And she fought back. So in, hold on, ignore my camera. I'm going to fix it. Sorry. What a, what a, what a horrible place for a webcam to fall. Yes. As it, what a horrible moment. (laughs) Yeah. Have a webcam fall. Uh, she, fought back against her attackers, and in retaliation, the attacker uh, scarred her face. Her husband left after their their marriage dissolved because he felt guilt over being unable to protect her, and so Kelsey took care of her older mother and took care of her children and has lived her life normally ever since. It's revealed all this because the Black Knight attempts to stab Kelsey's face and says the exact same line that the attacker said when she was nearly assaulted. Oh my god. So she, she gets triggered, essentially, and that's how we get the flashback. So, it gets revealed she's now Captain Britain. Uh, Steve and Wanda appear and are trying to figure out how to fight Morgan Le Fay and how to, how to you know, get out of this. And Kelsey goes, well, I've got a fucking great idea. Just hit the witch. And so she takes her weapon... And just smacks Morgan Le Fay, and Morgan Le Fay disappears, and the realm is saved. Brian is like, hey, thanks, Kelsey. Uh, sorry about all that. Anyways, bye. Uh, the story, the, the whole arc ends. The Avengers uh, go back to Avengers Manor. The kids and Kelsey's mom are now staying in Avengers Manor. And Kelsey has not revealed her identity to anyone. The arc ends with... Martin is putting up a poster mimicking the beginning of the arc in his new room in the manor. Uh, he is talking with 
Ant-Man and Steve and Clint and is just kind of having a more peaceful moment given everything. Uh, she says something to Martin, just very brief. She disappears. It ends in the scene where she's in her room. She pulls her mask down and she goes, what good is it being alive? My poor babies, I can't even comfort them. Oh my god. So, so. that's her introduction as Captain Britain. She then joins the Avengers. She works with them for a bit. It's just real, more really bad writing from our buddy Chuck Austin. Uh, the Avengers disassemble a couple issues later. She decides to go back to Britain. And we may just need a whole nother episode just for New Excalibur at this point. We basically... <laughs> a whole other can of worms. If we ever come back, we can come back to a full episode on Kelsey because this is such an interesting story. Such a good character. Of like, well, of, of like a, a survivor and who will do anything to fight for what she cares about. Yeah, she like she she's a mother, a regular human being who is only her only goal is to keep her kids safe and to keep them and like raise them as best she can given her own circumstances and it's like okay yeah it makes sense why she doesn't like violence it makes sense why she's like distrustful of men and all of these things a hundred percent make sense but she's fully demonized for it where it's like you can't talk to your kids anymore or they'll just die i i, I have to say real quick last thing about this yes because i this is the core of why i hate brian braddock okay because of through Kelsey. Yes, give us so this. She tells her that she cannot talk to her kids, she cannot reveal herself to her kids, or they will just die. Horrible, painful deaths. Cut to her run in New Excalibur, which is a problem child on its own. It is horrible. And who wrote that? Oh. A writer we have a writer we have actually praised before, but has some issues. Chris Claremont. It's Chris, 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 I, I, I just, I don't know what to say. He's a weirdo. He is. He's late, old Chris Claremont's a weirdo. And it's, a, it's endearing at some points and it's cringeworthy at others. It's a wild run. Uh, Kelsey is a villain in it. She actually comes back and attempts to kill Brian Braddock for revenge for what he did to her, which is fully justified in my opinion. Turns out she's being manipulated by a man named Albion who spoiler alert is a alternate universe Brian Braddock who chose God. the sword of might damn it so she's being manipulated by Brian Braddock <laughs> whole so her whole villain arc happens and then she turns and she helps fight uh against Albion and helps you know Excal new Excalibur uh defeat him and saves the day that whole run ends with Brian Braddock and Pete Wisdom come up with a cover story that she has been undercover and working for MI13 to, to save the realm. And that's why she couldn't reveal herself. And it ends with Pete and Brian taking Kelsey to see her mother and kids. And Kelsey pulls down her mask and is able to like have this very lovely family reunion. Except it's not lovely because it means one of two things. Either 
Brian told the truth in the Avengers and her children are going to die shortly. Or two, he's lied to her this entire time. And Claremont's idea of like retconning that whole bit with Brian about, oh no, it actually wasn't that your kids were going to die. It's that we needed you for this mission. So he also manipulated her for her, for his own purposes. God. And has like essentially for the long con because new new Excalibur was in two thousand six through seven, yeah. So that was two three years after her appearance in uh, Avengers. So the long con essentially <laughs> of well you can't see your kids but it's actually because I need you for this mission and stuff. But then you turned into a villain and you were technically manipulated by alternate universe me. But it's okay you can see your family again. They might die. We don't know. That's up in the air. She's literally mentioned one time after the fact. Yes. Technically mm -hmm. twice, because once in a flashback and then on a page that just simply says, these are the wielders of the Sword of Might, Kelsey Shorelay. That's it. And so she has not been seen since not been then. seen since. Technically, I will say technically, when there was the whole, who was it? Uh, the whole like Spider-Verse in a, uh, like, where all the spiders were being hunted down and yep. killed in their alternate universes. Um, there was this bit where uh, involving the Omniverse and the uh, Brian and the <laughs> Brian Corps, the Captain Britain Corps. Uh, it's not the Brian Corps. It's the Captain it, Britain well, Corps. It is the Captain Britain Corps, but I almost said Captain Brian Corps. But anyway. Yeah, I know. Uh, well, the, the thing about that is I'm glad it's not all Brian's. Oh, that, would, that would be so bad. Um, but in that, there was an alternate universe uh possibly kelsey it's unclear because there was never a name but there was i believe a lionheart who was injured in that whole mess okay um because there was a bunch of there were a bunch of captain britons that were also injured and hunted down as well um but there was a lionheart whose universe was destroyed and they appear to be to me they look like an alternate universe kelsey because they have blonde hair that's very short they're clearly female and they have the like lion rampant on their on the yes. front of their uniform but they're being carried and they're unconscious um, that's okay. the only time we've technically seen a Kelsey. I think it's I think it's confirmed that it's an alternate universe Kelsey. I can't remember the designation, but their universe is destroyed anyway, so it doesn't matter. So Cena. Yeah. I'm gonna issue a challenge to you oh. to you. All right. Would you like to see a return for Kelsey in the comics? I have thought about this long. A long time. Like, it's been since 2014 that I fell in love with this character for the first time. Um, so, God, eight years? Wow. Uh, I've gone back and forth on this. I think my ultimate opinion would be, no, I, I do not yeah. want to see her because I don't trust anyone with her unless she was possibly written by a woman. That's the, like... That that's the only way. Like a like that a non man at the very least. Like uh, that's it. I, I I don't trust anyone else with her story because I think there's potential where there would be a really good possibility. Like or me, let me write. Let me Marvel Marvel hire yeah. me because I do have ideas for Kelsey. We could have a story of a single mother balancing. Like I, I love that concept, but a single mother balancing like being a superhero of her being Lionheart and not Captain Britain, and just like her doing her own thing, but doing it very like local type adventures, very like your you know your friendly neighborhood Spider Man type deal, where she's basically just based out of Ipswich and not doing these like otherworldly things. She's just like 
primarily it's just about her and her family. And that's that's a trope that we haven't seen with superhero comics. Like we've had like you know parents and everything but it's always like with great you know where they're involved with like other teams or anything like you know Jessica Jones or um or uh Jubilee. Um, yeah. Like, we we've had it before of like you know, parent superheroes, but I just love the idea of it being more of a family focused one. Yes. Because I like the idea and the concept of like Martin was this kid who, yeah, like a lot of kids do just love superheroes and idolize them. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, my mom's a superhero. But also like having seen firsthand, like, oh, it's not as great as I thought. Like, mm -hmm. well, it's kind of fucked up that they just showed me my dead mom and that they didn't like save the day and that it's not all you know bright you know shiny colored costumes and like good guys it's like no there's a lot of like really rough stuff if you boil down like the essence of a superhero uh in the once an invader arc there's actually a really interesting part that i don't like how it's written but i like for what it tried to do in a sense uh kelsey is witness to her own funeral where the oh, Avengers hold shit. a funeral service for Kelsey and they erect a statue of Kelsey uh, holding the shield in their, like, memoriam garden. So, like, there's a statue for Mockingbird. There's, like, all the Avengers who had died prior. There's a bunch of statues I, for them. And so Kelsey that's has... That's great. Yeah. So, so they erect a statue for Kelsey. And Kelsey, as Lion... Well, as Captain Britain in this moment... uh calls out Captain America during the eulogy and she's like this woman and all of these other heroes wouldn't have died if you just did your fucking job in the first place because you guys are all being the good guys you let these villains roam free and continue to hurt people because she's like how many times has the wrecking crew done shit mm -hmm. and they're still doing shit that I died because like she doesn't call you know she doesn't you know reveal herself but it's clearly they come to the conclusion after they're like, okay, I'm pretty sure Captain Britain is Kelsey. Yeah. Uh, yep. Which then leads to a lot of really gross speculation about why she doesn't reveal herself to her kid. And it's like, uh, uh, it's bad. Ugh. But she has this okay. moment where she calls Cap out and she destroys her statue because she's like, why would she want to be remembered with that scar on her face? And it, it's very poignant. And I, I, I think it's like it could have been done better. But at the same time, I think it's very interesting to, for her to be like, no, if I were alive, you know, or if I if I had fully died and did not come back, that's not how I would want to be remembered as, you know, a hero who what died for nothing. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very interesting. And I love her, like the potential for her story more than what they gave her. So. I would not want to see her come back unless I wrote it. <laughs> yes, that is absolutely that's, correct. That's my pitch. Now, quickly moving into the final segment here, because yes. I have to, I, I have a hard out, but yes. we are going to talk about a sibling of Brian Brad Braddock, one Betsy Braddock. Um, for a while in the 80s, early Captain Britain run, she takes over. Brian gets mad. He thinks, like, why are you doing this? He's an asshole. Yes. Um, and then she goes off and joins the X-Men as the hero Psylocke, who is a character who I've not read a lot of her as Psylocke, but I have read a lot of her as Captain Britain. Because in 2019, the X-Men move, all moved to an island called Krakoa, and they're all happy living on an island together. And Betsy decides, you know what? 
I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go hang out in Krakoa. And first thing she finds out, mutants are all being able to be resurrected from the dead. One of the first mutants to come back, her brother, King of the Assholes, Jamie Braddock. And we get more, we get more with him later, but basically Morgan Le Fay's back because of course she is. And she's taken over Otherworld, this dimension where all this Arthurian legend has happened. And she finds out that there is a gate to Krakoa on, in Otherworld. And she, dis- she is like, you know what? I hate mutants. I am going to launch a crusade against mutants. And who better to be my dark champion than the only non-mutants child of the Braddocks? So she turns Brian into her, like, new Black Knight. Brian gives Betsy the amulet, and she becomes Captain Britain. And... Real quick. Yes. Real quick. If it's that fucking easy, why couldn't he have just given Kelsey the amulet? I don't fucking know. That's all I have to say. Because... It makes sense that it makes sense why Kelsey chose the sword with all the information she was given. Why would you choose a necklace? <laughs> exactly. And so Betsy now leads this new team of Excalibur that consists of her, um, Rachel Summers, um, Gambit, Rogue, Apocalypse for a while, um, Apocalypse for a while, Jubilee, Richter, Jubilee's baby, who turns into a dragon when they go to Otherworld, which is great. Shogo is a dragon, and it's amazing. I love that. And so we get this great exploration of the Braddock family and Betsy's place in it and her place as Captain Britain in this new world, or, or sorry, in this new climate where... In this new climate where the mutants are a nation, yet they have someone going by Captain Britain a part of their ranks. And so Pete Wisdom, British intelligence officer, comes back and he's like, oh, great. Now we have to figure out how to make you the heroes of England while still also being mutant citizens of Krakoa. And Teeny Howard has done a great job writing this book and really bringing Betsy into her own. Because she has been a complicated character for a long time. There's that whole thing with Quanon that we don't want to get into. We don't have time to get into. That's a whole chunk of of time on its own. Through her writing Excalibur and its sequel series, Knights of X, through this crusade against Morgan Le Fay and Otherworld, we've really seen Betsy come into her own. And we've also seen one of the best slow burn romances in comics in the 2020s between Betsy and Rachel. And it's incredible. It is a, such a great romance. And I, I'm not caught up on Knights of X, but it's basically being treated like an Arthurian quest. And it's Betsy and her Knights of the Round Table, basically, consisting of, like, Rachel, Gambit, Jubilee, just every, all of these people. And it's so fun. And it's a side we haven't really seen of Captain Britain. And that's a great place to sort of end. I think Betsy has been the perfect person to succeed at least Brian as Defender of the Realm. No, 
long term, Kelsey could not and should never have been like even considered as a long term Captain Britain. I like the idea of her being Lionheart and being her own kind of hero and like coming into that. And so that's my pitch. I may end up just writing that myself and fuck Marvel. Uh, but no, I, I definitely think Bessie has been the best person to take up the mantle. Yes. And so, thank you so much for listening, Cena. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you um, for me. Yes, it was a it was great to discuss this, to discuss a character that I really didn't know much about. It's not often that I get to uh, share the love that I have for Kelsey Shoreley, and so it's always a always a pleasure to be able to. Yes. All right. Have a great night, every or have a. Have a great day, everyone. And remember, when given the choice between the sword or a necklace, what's going to stop you? What's going to help you defeat a man with a wrecking ball? Goodbye, everyone. I'm going to do shit. Recommended Reading with Jackson Heyman's theme music was written by Charlotte Rosenthal. Recommended Reading with Jackson Heyman is produced by Mythonomica Productions. Thank you for listening.